0: So our oral tradition tells us that, as we mentioned earlier, there are 39 melachos, or forms of creative work that are forbidden on Shabbos. And we went into them in detail in a different class. I'm not going to go into them in detail. But some of them include plowing, planting, grinding, cooking, lighting fires, slaughtering, sewing, tying, building, or carrying in an open area, all all some of the 39 prohibitions, creative work that we are forbidden from doing on Shabbos. Now, in addition to the 35 forms of creative work, there are a number of additional prohibitions on Shabbos that were created by the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin were the supreme council of Judaism. We did a separate class about them. They led the Jewish people for the first 1,700 years of Jewish history, from the days of Moses. Um, it was a supreme council, and they had the final say in Judaism. For the last 1,800 years or so, we have not had a supreme or 1,700 years we have not had a supreme council of Judaism, and there is no supreme authority that has the right to make the rules. We can um, adjudicate, we can take existing law and try to apply it to new situations, and we do that. We once did a class on how Jewish law evolves, but we don't have the right to make new laws, but the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Council of Judaism, did make many rules um, in Judaism, and most of the rules were made in the first couple hundred years, so we're 3, more than 3,300 years in um, they, this is all in the first couple hundred years. The, 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 they're called the rabbinic law, but not to be confused, it's not laws made by rabbis like today. It's laws that were made by the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Council. Um, all the rabbinic laws are called by a term Shavut, which literally means resting. Um, additional laws that the, that the Sanhedrin created to encourage us to further rest on Shabbat. One of those laws is our sages create, pr- forbade us from traveling on Shabbat, even on Shabbat. Even if we are not carrying, this is one of the 39 prohibitions is not to carry in a public area, in an open public area, we're not allowed to carry anything. However, even if one is not carrying, we're still forbidden from traveling on Shabbat. This was, again, a rule made by the Sanhedrin, by the Supreme Council of Judaism. They found a allusion to it, a hint to it, in the Torah when people were collecting the manna um, and Moshe first told them about Shabbat. He told them, No person should leave their place on the seventh day, um, not to leave your place on Shabbat. And so, if you shouldn't leave your place, it means you shouldn't travel. Now, that is not what Moshe was referring to. He was referring to going out to collect the manna. You shouldn't go out and collect manna on Shabbat. Because there was no manna. So don't go out to collect it. That's what he was telling the people. There will, be no, there will not be manna on Shabbat. However, our, the Sanhedrin used that verse as kind of a biblical source to allude to this rule that they made that one should not travel on Shabbos. How far are you forbidden from traveling on Shabbos? How far is it? So they said one should not go more than one mil or 2,000 cubits, which is about 3,000 feet or a little bit more than a half a mile, outside of a city or a built-up area. So now cities, <coughs> for this rule, and this, this, rule, this rule is known as Trom Shabbat. Trom means the boundary, the boundary of Shabbat. Cities over here are not defined by legal governance, like the city of Manhattan Beach or city of Redondo Beach, but city is defined as a built-up area. Most of Los Angeles County then, for this, would be considered a single city. So for us people living in the South Bay, we would have to walk a good 20, 30 miles just to get to the end of the built-up area of Los Angeles. You'd have to go up to Malibu um, or up to um, north of Pasadena, the San Gabriel Mountains in order to really move out, get out of a built-up area. But if somebody lived in a Outer neighborhood, they lived in Malibu, or they lived in Pasadena, or lived in a smaller town or village, then where, or you, you just spend Shabbos in such a place, you spend the Shabbos there, you would be, then this law would be very relevant to you. So, how do we define the outskirts of a city? How do you measure where the city ends to begin counting these? this mill or this 3,000 feet limit beyond the outskirts of a city. So our sages gave us a very um, clear definition to be able to define the outskirts of a city, although, as you will see, it's a little bit complex. So hopefully we could follow along. I'll try to explain it as best as I can. Houses are considered part of the same city so long as the fences or the property lines are within 70 cubits or 105 feet of each other. So long as houses are not more than a hundred or the not just the house itself, but the property line, the fence around the property, is not more than 105 feet apart, it is considered part of the same town or part of the same city. Two neighborhoods, if you have two neighborhoods that are separated by more than, two neighborhoods that are separated by more than 210 feet are considered separate cities. But And that's considered a different neighborhood, a different city. It's hard for us to imagine. We live in Los Angeles, where cities kind of roll one into the other. But in other places, they have real towns, right? Towns, and then open land, and then towns, and then open land, and then towns. It exists, right? Um, in other places, outside of, um, I was never there, but um, I was once somebody um, who lived in Brussels was telling me that they sent their children to school in Antwerp. I said, how far is Brussels from Antwerp? I think they told me it's about 20 miles. 20 miles is like going from here to the valley, right? From here. For us, it's all one city. But I guess in other places, it's a whole different city with towns and villages in between, and you travel, and you've got to go on a freeway. It's, you're going out of town each time you go. Yes, Annette? No? it? The area fenced up is part of your part of your house. Yes. So that would be the area we can carry. It. Within the fence, that's carry. We're not focused today on carrying. We're focused on traveling. I, I, but if the prop from one property line to the next was less than 105 feet apart, then you would be able. Then it would be considered part of the same city. If you have a park within a neighborhood or an area surrounded by a built-up area, we have lots of big parks in this city. Um, in the city of Los Angeles, um, it's still considered part of the same city. Now, when we measure... Yes, Debbie? I just had a question about carrying. Well, we're not going to focus on carrying today. Let's, let's leave it to the end. So to, today we're talking about traveling without carrying. So to measure the end of the city, though, our sages say we square it off. We don't just measure 2,000 cubits from the last house of the city town, wherever it is. We square off the city. What we do is we take the house that's furthest north and we draw a straight line going east west along the house that's furthest north. We take the house that's furthest to the east and run a line north south along the house furthest to the east. We go do the house east. We do the house furthest to the west and draw a line north-south south along the house furthest to the west. House furthest to the south and draw a line east-west along the house that's furthest to the south. So essentially you create this square. Now, and that way you gain the corners, right, even though they're not built up at all, you still gain those corners, but only up to 2,000 cubits from the furthest house. So the corners of the city, if they go more than 2,000 cubits, so you have a city that is in a, um, in a um, bow shape, and then you don't just square it off, you only go 2,000 cubits at most from the closest house is considered the end of the city where you start counting the 2,000 square, the 2,000 cubit limit. Now, when you have this square, if you have another city that juts into this square, then that other city is considered part of the same city. And so, it, therefore, the city extends, and it's all considered a single city for this law. So, and so long as there's not more than 4,000 cubits space between the end of one city and the beginning and the end of the other city, or 6,000 feet. So, using this kind of measurement, squaring it off, and anything that falls within that square is considered part of the same city and kind of extends the city further. Most of L.A. County, under this kind of rule, um, almost all of L.A. County, except for the forests, is really considered a single city. Um, You could probably go very far um, in all directions and probably deep into Orange County and still be in, maybe into Riverside as well, and still be part of the same city as far as the borders of Shabbos is concerned. Now, Los Angeles happens to be one of the largest built-up areas in the country. Those places aren't as big as this. We're unique. So, um, but one, and once you decide, once you figure out where the borders of the city, then you can go up to two thousand cubits from the border in any direction. If you go two thousand cubits from the border of the city, and you reach another town within 2,000 cubits, you can go throughout that entire town until the end of the town. But you can't step outside of that town. So that's the rule of of the boundary of Shabbos. You can, and this is, think of villages or towns where people lived in much smaller towns than we live today. Um, And so you had villages, and then maybe a mile or two down the road was another village, then a mile or two down the road was another village. Like there still isn't much of this country today still like that. Um, but we're used to kind of these big metropolitan areas, but most of the world historically was not built like that, but rather towns and towns. So you can travel 2,000 cubits, and within 2,000 cubits there may well be another town nearby. What if the body of water between Manhattan <laughs> and that That's fine, as long as it's not more than 2,000 cubits. Yes. It's still part of the same city, and with Manhattan and Brooklyn, if you're familiar with the shape of New York, um, be, if you would square it off, if you would square because Brooklyn kind of is a um, J shape. Brooklyn, Queens is a J shape. It's a single city. Uh, but if you would square it off, you would go straight into Manhattan, right? Because it kind of goes around. It goes south and then east of, um, east of Manhattan. New Jersey, on the, other si- on the other hand, the Hudson River goes almost north-south straight line. Um, alongside Manhattan, and so New Jersey would already be out of the city, right? So it wouldn't, be part, it wouldn't really fit into that square. Um, it wouldn't really fit into that square, so you wouldn't be able to go more than 3,000 feet. I don't think the Hudson River itself is 3,000 feet wide, but you wouldn't be able to go much further if you do cross the George Washington Bridge. I don't know if there's a pl- way to cross by foot, but if you did you wouldn't be able to go much further on um, Chavez. But you can cross the Brooklyn Bridge or the Manhattan Bridge, and they do have beautiful walkways, um, if you've ever done it. You talk about travel, you're just talking about walking. Walking, walking. We're, we're forbidden from traveling on animals on Shabbos regardless. Um, definitely cars where you're lighting fires. Um, electricity is also forbidden, so electric cars is a problem. We're just talking about walking. Travel by walking. So historically... Most people lived in towns, in smaller towns, where you could walk from end to end of the town in 20 minutes, in an hour at most, right? A town that's three miles from end to end, you could walk the whole thing in an hour easily. So most people, most played people lived in towns like that, and so they measured where the end of the town was using our definition of squaring it off to the north, the south, the east, and the west. And then from there, they would measure, usually along the road, 2,000 cubits or 3,000 feet. And in most towns that had sizable Jewish populations, there would be a sign that said, you can go up to here on Shabbos. You cannot go further. People knew, you go take walks on Shabbos, that's fine, but you cannot go further than this distance. You're limited to only going up to um, this distance. Now, what happens if somebody spends a Shabbos not in a town, but alone. They're in a campsite, all alone, or they're in a farm where they don't have a fenced-off area around them, and the next house is ten acre, is uh, a mile away or two miles away. So they're not in a city at all. Then they only have their house or their property line, and they can then only go two thousand cubits or three thousand feet from their property line. If you decide to go camping, and uh, you're in the middle of the desert somewhere, in the middle of a forest somewhere, or on the beach, and there's no one, nothing around you, and you're spending Shabbos over there, you would only be able to go 3,000 feet from wherever your property line is. If you're camping on Shabbos, of course, you have to make sure to make a fence around the area that you're camping in order to be able to carry um, within that area, because as we've mentioned, we don't carry within an area unless it's fenced off. Yes. So, the so been, um, they came up with this amount of right. they pull that number out of a hat somewhere, or is there a reason for it? there is. They did not pull it out of a hat. Where did the reason come from? The distance from when the, Israel was in the desert, the distance from the, the the temple to the camps of the tribes camped around Um, kind of a little distance from the temple, and the temple was kind of in the middle. The tribes kept camped in like a square around the temple. The distance from the end of the camp until the temple was that distance, 2,000 cubits. Well, each town would have had their own synagogue because yeah, it would be a distance to travel. I mean, also we didn't drive, we didn't take um, we didn't even take animals on Shabbos, so you had to have something local. What happens if someone does go outside of the limit that they're allowed to go on Shabbos? Whether they did so accidentally, whether they did so knowingly, the rule is they can't move. You can't go back because you're already outside the town. You can't move. They can only move within a fenced off area if they're in a fenced off area or within if they're out in the open they can only move within a four cubit limit in any direction or a six foot limit in any direction. There is an exception to this rule and that is an emergency worker. Somebody who is a firefighter or a medical um, or or, uh, say they call it uh, emergency medical person who goes outside a distance in order to save someone, our sages then said they can go back. Why? In order to encourage them to go again. And for that matter, most rabbinic laws, most rabbinic rules of Shabbos are exempted for somebody who, of course, if a life is in danger, anyone is allowed to desecrate Shabbos in order to save a life. And, of course, an emergency worker is able to save desecrate Shabbos in order to save a life. But once the life is no longer in danger, while they cannot transgress any biblical prohibitions, they can transgress rules made by the Sanhedrin in order to go back to where they were. And they made this exception for emergency workers in order to encourage them to go. Because if you knew that if you went somewhere to help, you would get stuck and you wouldn't be able to go back home, then people would be afraid to go. And so in order to encourage them, they therefore allowed them to return as well. So my daughter, my oldest daughter, was born, I've mentioned this before, in the class, was born on Yom Kippur. We went to the hospital on Yom Kippur, we all got into a car, um, and uh, we we had to get to the hospital, we had a, a taxi drove us to the hospital, on Yom Kippur it's in order to save a life um, it was a medical emergency and so my youngest son was also born on Shabbat um, and we went into the host- we went into a car on Shabbat too um, and so um, and so we went to the hospital and with it was our first birth so we had a doula for that first birth and the doula came with us she was in the house with us beforehand and she came with us in the car as well now, the hospital was some distance from where we were. We were staying then by my in-laws. And um, we weren't, once we were in the hospital, it was Yom Kippur. We had the baby, Yom Kippur in the morning. We went at that, that night. We had the baby the next morning. And we were unable to, I, we were, I was unable to go home. It was a, quite a walk to be able to walk home. I ended up walking just for the closing services to a nearby synagogue that was near the hospital. Um, but we couldn't walk. I couldn't walk home. I couldn't pick up a phone either to call the family back at home to let them know that we had a baby because we didn't, don't use a phone on chavez. But the doula is an emergency worker. So after the baby was born, she went back home. She was able to get into a car. Um, she wasn't driving herself. She was able to get into a cab and take a cab back home because since she's an emergency worker, she's allowed to go back. And so she went back and she told them that we had a baby. That's how they knew. So one issue mentioned in halacha that comes up is rega- moving more than 2,000 cubit limit on Shabbos is if someone is on a boat. The boat is going to move more than 2,000 cubits on Shabbos. Now, you get onto the boat before Shabbos. Once you're on the boat, you don't really have an option of getting off. You can't get off in the middle. You're in the ocean or wherever you are. You don't really have an option of taking a break for Shabbos. You've got to stay on. You're stuck there. So you're on, but then once you dock, let's say the boat docks on Shabbos. So now can you disembark from the boat and leave the boat Or are you stuck in your place because you've traveled more than the 2,000-cubit limit on Shabbos? So the Talmud says, mentions a debate among scholars, whether the prohibition of traveling on Shabbos, is only if a person is on ground level, or even if a person is above ground level. And there's a debate about, about this, And now the boat is very important because the boat is not on the ground. The boat is on the water, which is well above the ground. And so you're above ground level. And so there is a debate. If the rule was only made at ground level, then on a boat you're okay. If the rule was made above ground level, then you got a problem on a boat. Or the halacha, or the way that we rule, is that the rule of... Traveling on Shabbos is only at ground level. If you are above ground level, you don't have—it's not a problem. So therefore, if you travel on a boat, it's not an issue of going outside of the teḥum, unless you're on a boat that is very, very close to the ground, which is a traveling very close to the ground, which is of course impossible because it will get stuck. Um, it will get stuck if it's too close to the ground. Um, so. Most boats are significantly above the ground, and so therefore it would not be an issue if you travel on a boat on Shabbos. For that matter, a more modern example of this is if you travel on a plane on Shabbos. Now, traveling a person should never definitely get onto a plane on Shabbos. You also should not get onto a plane that you know will land on Shabbos. You'll run into a lot of problems on the plane knowing that it will land on Shabbos. But what if you did get onto a long transatlantic or transpacific flight thinking that it will land before Shabbos and it got delayed somehow in the air and by the time it lands, it is already Shabbos. So you are able to disembark because you were flying. Yes, you went more than the limit, the 2,000 cubit limit, but you're in the air. So it's not an issue. You are above ground. Only the, the rule of not traveling on Shabbos is only at ground level, not if you are above ground on a plane. And once you landed in the airport, most airports are within city limits, are within a city, some are outside, but most are within a city. So even as the plane taxied down the runway, um, you even if it traveled more than the the half mile or so of the Tchum Shabbos as a taxi down the runway, you're still within the city, you're okay. You will, though, have a problem not traveling on Shabbos, but once you get off the plane, you can't really get into a taxi to get to your destination, nor would you even be allowed to carry your suitcases outside of the airport, which would a little bit inconvenience you, but while most of the time keeping Shabbos and keeping Judaism in general is very pleasant, there are times when, in order to keep the rules, one has to be inconvenienced. And it could be a little challenging. And even so, we still are careful to keep the rules of the Torah and keep the rules of Shabbos. Yes, Lewis? So, you get on an Ella flight, the Ella mm-hmm. flight that goes nonstop to Israel Friday afternoon. You land Saturday night after Shabbat is over in Israel. That should be okay. Except on the plane itself, it's going to be very hard not to use electricity, not to transgress any of the various prohibitions. It should be okay. And yet LL doesn't do that. They don't have a Friday afternoon. Well, the pilot would be desecrating Shabbos as he flies the plane. If if he's a Jewish pilot. If he's a Jewish pilot. You'd run into a lot of problems, Mm -hmm. yeah. So they don't do that. Uh, But they did have an LL flight, I think it was last summer, maybe a little earlier, that flew... And got delayed in the air um, on fr- supposed to land Friday in Tel Aviv, and they ended up landing in I think it was Cyprus. They ended up landing landing um, because they were going to land on Shabbos if they would have made it the extra whatever it is hour to Tel Aviv. So now there is a way the sages of the Sanhedrin of the Supreme Council who made the prohibition of traveling more than the 2,000 cubit limit on Shabbos gave us a way to extend the distance that a person can walk on Shabbos. They said what you can do is you can choose to make your home for Shabbos 2,000 cubits outside of the city. So what you do is if you are 2,000 cubits outside of the city at the beginning of Shabbos then that becomes your place for Shabbos. You can then walk to the edge of the city, and then once, if the edge of the city is within 2,000 cubits, then you can go throughout the entire city. If there's a town 2,000 cubits the other way, you could walk to the edge of that town and walk 2,000, walk throughout that entire town also, so long as the two towns are less than 4,000 cubits apart. Again, calculated the way we calculate the borders of the city by squaring it off along the north-south-east-west directions. So what if you don't want to be Friday night at sundown? You want to be able to light your Shabbos candles, you don't want to be in the middle of the road. So you have another option, and that is you could take food and leave, your, leave food for Shabbos there in that spot and say, make this, it's called an Eruv Tchumin, an Eruv of the trhum, of the boundaries, of the tra- traveling limits, and leave this food there. You can leave it in a box or somewhere where it will be protected, and say, this is where my base for Shabbos is. So you can leave it there earlier in the week or whenever you do, and then that becomes your base for Shabbos. What kind of food do you have to leave? So our sages said, you can either leave bread bread, you must leave at least 12 ounces of bread, which is enough for have two meals, two very small meals, but two meals um, with those 12 ounces. Or instead of bread, what you can do is you can leave a dip or a spice, something that you could use to flavor that amount of bread. So you can use spices um, or dips of some sort um, that you would use to flavor, they used vinegar in ancient times, that was their common flavor they used to use to dip their bread in, Um, but you can use any other spice that you would flavor your bread with and just leave that over there in that spot, over from before Shabbos and say, before Shabbos, this is going to be my spot where I am going to be for Shabbos, that's my base. And then from that spot, you could go 2,000 cubits or 3,000 feet in either direction, and if there's a town within those 2,000 cubits, you can travel throughout the entire town. That way, if you have two towns less than 4,000 cubits, or less than 6,000 feet apart from each other, where their borders after being squared off is less than 6,000 feet apart from each other, you can then travel through both towns um, you're able to travel. It's not, again, something that would be relevant over here, that when I was in Israel, I spent a year in a town called Kfar Chabad, which is a Chabad village, um, just not very far from the um, Ben-Gurion airport. And um, I once went to, had reason to go to another town right next to it, called Achiezer, and um, we did that. We put it further than the 2,000 cubit limit, but within 4,000 cubits, and we left something right there in between, in the middle, and that way we were able to go from one town to the other town on Shabbos. So this mitzvah of the borders of Shabbos was one of a number of mitzvahs created by the rules, created by the Sanhedrin, by the Supreme Council of Judaism, in the early days of Judaism. They created, as we mentioned, a number of rules about what you should not—things you should not do on Shabbos, um, including not moving various things, um, not carrying in various places. The Torah allowed us to carry. Many other rules they made to um, make Shabbos a more relaxing day. The Torah only forbade thirty-nine forms of forbidden work, but they didn't want us to go on very long hikes on Shabbos either. It's not a way to spend your Shabbos. Shabbos should be spent relaxing, should be spent focusing on prayer, on study, time with the family. It's not a time to go on hikes. And therefore, they gave us this limit of how far we can travel outside of a town on Shabbos. But there's also a deeper significance to this mitzvah, to this command to stay put, to stay in one place, not to travel too far. Today, people love to travel. I know a lot of people who are itching to travel because for two years, they couldn't go anywhere, and they feel they need to go somewhere. They need to get out. There's even a book called 50 Places to See Before You Die. You wonder what happens when you see all 50 places. Then what? What do you do? Right? You get another 50. Did you get another 50. What do you gain from it all? People love to travel to move around. And people love to get out. They can't stay put in one place. They have the feeling they need to move. They need to go to explore, to see things, go somewhere else, do something else. And we like to travel. Thankfully, our, our, um, our horizons have broadened. We have cheap flights, planes. Um, it's easy to travel. It's cheap to travel. Um, And so, there's cruises, there's a lot of different ways to travel. We like to get out. We like to get out there, not stay cooped up in the same place. Our sages say that every person has their own space. Adam konem mekomo. A person has their own space. Today, we call it personal space. Everyone has personal space around it. But your personal space... It's not just you don't want any other people to get in your way. Personal space is also a space where that belongs to me. It's a space where I have a role. I have an opportunity. In other words, in the the book of Psalms we say that God sets the footsteps of, of people. God sets where we go. Wherever a person ends up, wherever a person lives, however you got there. But once you're in a, per- in a place, that place, you ended up there because you have a unique role. You have a unique mission in that place. You have something to do in that place. You're supposed to be doing something. Now sometimes we do need to travel. We need to travel for business. We need to travel to see friends. Sometimes it's nice to get out a little bit just for a little vacation, that's okay. But it's important to remember that our role in life is not somewhere else. It's in the place that we are. We have this saying, the grass is greener on the other side. You always think things are better elsewhere. If only I could go here, go there. We have this travel itch, this need to get out and move and go somewhere else. So that travel itch is not a healthy feeling. It comes from what we call our evil inclination. It comes from a negative side within us that is unhappy where we are. Is We have God placed us wherever we are in order to make an impact where we are because we have something unique that we're supposed to impact and, and make a difference within our own neighborhood, within our own community. We're supposed to do something here. And we have this need to go elsewhere to try to escape our place to try to escape our role, to try to escape our purpose. Not that it's necessarily always bad to travel. Sometimes we do need to travel, but even when we do, it's important to know we come back to where we are. It's not a terrible thing to move. Sometimes we need to move. Circumstances push us to move somewhere else. But one should never jump to move. One should always move as last resort. Generally, wherever you are, you have a role in that place. And only if you really cannot continue here or need to be somewhere else for, for a strong reason, only then should a person move. A person should try to stay put. Um, a person's always better staying in one place because that is your role. That is what you're supposed to be doing. The travel itch is a feeling to escape my purpose, to try to escape my role, to try to escape my life mission. That's not a healthy thing. We're running away from whatever our purpose is, whatever we're supposed to be doing here. I don't know why God does things, but we can suggest perhaps God made us stuck in one place for a significant amount of time over the last two years, um, maybe to help remind us that we have a role in our particular place. When people would ask the Rebbe, If they should go somewhere, they wanted to move. They wanted to move to Israel to make Aliyah. They wanted to move to another place. They didn't like where they were. They would always, the Rebbe would generally answer people, they have a role where they are. There was a fellow I knew, he's since passed, but a fellow I knew who lived in Northern Ireland in Belfast. And most of the community left after there was a lot of terrorism and a lot of violence there. There had been a Jewish community, an old Jewish community there for a very long time. And um, he, um, he wanted to, he felt, you know, he wanted to go to Israel. He wanted to leave. Everybody else was leaving. And uh, the Rebbe told him, no, your role is there. If God placed you there, there's a reason why you're there. Your role is to be there don't leave. Um, Another, uh, Sarah Mintz, whom you all know her grandfather, um, after World War II, he had escaped from the Soviet Union with his family, and after World War II, he um, couldn't get a visa to come to the United States. So like many Jews, he got a visa to go to Cuba. Cuba at the time had a very, very large Jewish community. It was much easier to get into. Um, uh, Even before the war, but especially after the war, many, many Jews ended up in Cuba because it was easier to get visas there. Uh, Most of them hoped to then go from there to the United States. And so he wanted to leave to the United States as well. The Rebbe told him, you can't leave. You ended up in Cuba for a reason. You're supposed to be doing things in Cuba. And so he built the shul, and he built a mikveh. There was no mikveh in Havana at the time. He built the the mikveh that's still there today and helped develop the Jewish community. And it wasn't until much later, by by the revolution, that finally the Rebbe said, okay, now your time in Cuba is up. Now it's time to come back to the United States. But sometimes we do need to leave. But in general, we need to know that rather than feeling we need to go elsewhere, we need to move. We need to go somewhere else. Some people can't say stay stay still. They need to keep moving somewhere else. But our sages told us on Shabbos we don't move in order to remind us that our role is here. Wherever we are, we're supposed to make an impact here. We're supposed to do something here, not Try it. go elsewhere to try to do things, not make an impact elsewhere in the world, not move, say I don't like this place, I need to be somewhere else. If you're in this place, you clearly have a role here. You're supposed to be here for a reason. You're supposed to be doing something here. So we all if we want to fulfill our life's mission, we need to look around us and say how can I make an impact here in my own place? So I thank you